Well, obviously this morning, if you haven't gotten our theme, it is the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to have you turn to two places. One is Romans chapter 5, and I want we're going to start here, but keep your finger here and also turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we had our scripture reading this morning, but Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That way you're ready for, for both places this morning. As you're turning there, I was in my car earlier uh, the, this past week, and I was going down the hill over there by Walmart, coming up, and I was approaching the stoplight. And an event happened that reminded me of the passage in the Scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, the light had just turned red as I was topping the hill, and uh, as you know, it's not very long. If you're down there closer, you better start stopping, because it turns red pretty quick. So two vehicles had, had come to a stop. And the one vehicle was a shiny, highly tuned Corvette. The other one was a rundown, and I'm kidding not, a rundown, beat-up moped. And they come in and they park together. I'm like, wow, that's that's an interesting combination. But my thought was, I'm in a hurry. I want to find the quickest vehicle to get behind that's going to get off the line and get where I need to to be going, because I actually needed one lane over the other. Uh, So I, I wanted to to make sure that I was going to set myself up in the best position. So which lane do you suppose I chose? No, because I know who owns the Corvette. I parked in behind the moped, and guess what? My choice was right. The moped, the light turns green, the moped takes off, the Corvette just kind of putters along. That's the event that reminded me of where we're at today. Because you and I, as believers, have a highly tuned, powerful, motivating factor that is behind our belief. And yet we drive it like that guy was driving that Corvette. You see, we have a highly tuned engine that's raring to go. The car is all shiny and polished, and we could put the pedal to the metal and peel out. But we don't, because we're afraid to unleash the power that is underneath. You see... The message of the cross equips us to make disciples like a finely tuned sports car. Yet the cheap substitutes of the world's religions are blowing by us at a phenomenal rate because we are afraid of the power that we possess. You see, as I came to this point in our study, I began to realize why it is so important. I've been realizing it all along, and I'm trying to help you to realize why it is so important. But a statistic stuck out in my mind that was given when we were at Answers in Genesis, uh, the Creation Museum, this past June. And in four generations, on the current trend, in four generations, there will be 50,000 true believers in the United States. And that's all. There are millions of us today. The stark reality is that it takes one generation to totally lose Christian faith from the face of the earth. That's all it takes. Except, by the power of God, it will continue. So this morning, we come to the point, we come to the pivotal pivotal point in biblical history. We come to the climax. We come to the point that everything has built up to and everything's going to fall away from. And that is the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The idea that I want us to focus on this morning is man's desperate need of reconciliation only finds satisfaction in the power of Christ's sacrifice. 
Your desperate desire, it's not just a need, it's a desire to be reconciled, to be made right with God, only finds satisfaction in the power of Christ's sacrifice. Now, you can find all kinds of cheap substitutes. And believe me, and I'm going to mention this again, sin is fun, right? How many of you just desperately dreaded doing a sin and had no fun doing it? You know why? Sin is fun. Sin is appealing, but it's not satisfying. And it is the satisfaction that you and I desperately need. And it is only fully realized in the power of Christ's sacrifice. This morning as we prepare for Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, I thank you for the privilege it is to have such a power, such a truth, to share to the world. But Lord, I, I beg and I plead forgiveness on our behalf and believers across this land and across this world who have taken this lightly. Lord, I know that we have. We have not taken it near seriously enough, and so I pray forgiveness for us as we come before this truth today. Make us realize the power that is, in, that is found in the blood of of our Savior, and in the resurrection of our Redeemer. Lord, we come before this realizing the power that is here and realizing where we are, and I pray that you would cause us to recognize our main objective is to make disciples and to baptize them, but is also to train them to observe all that you've commanded us. Lord, I pray then that today our endeavors, that our actions and that our attitudes would be more about the message of Jesus Christ rather than his works recognizing that the message of Jesus Christ is that He is our Redeemer. He is the one and only way to spend eternity with you in heaven. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this incredible message. Forgive my finite mind in being able to handle it this morning, but make every word that I say uh, as directly from you. And we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. This morning we dive into the central theme of the entire Word of God. And I'm going to tell you that as a pastor, this is a very humbling message for me. Because I'm trying to combine everything that Scripture built up to and everything that it falls away from in one message. And I'm going to tell you right now I'm going to fail in doing that completely the way that I would like to. But that doesn't mean that there's not power. And despite my finiteness... Here is an incredible ability for you to continue in your study and to continue to understand God's power in our salvation. It is a central theme to the message that we take to the world around us, what we're going to study today. It is the central theme that has redeemed the hearts of every single believer since the day that the first sin was committed until the day in which the last one will be. It is the message of the cross. And it is a powerful message, one in which I cannot even begin to describe to you this morning. This is a hard-hitting message, and the reality is that this is the message that has changed the course of history. It has brought hope to the hopeless. It has caused governments to fall and churches to rise. This is the message that has changed the course of sinful mankind. So we begin this morning with these three truths that we're going to apply to us as we begin to understand 
First, we must understand man's desperate need. If you've been following with me in the other previous seven messages, you recognize man's desperate need. Well, we're going to review it, and we're going to understand it, and we're going to apply it to recognizing that the Lord provides for man. The Lord makes a provision for you and I who are desperately in need of Him to come to know Him as Savior. And then finally, what our heart yearns for. What you were created to be and was destroyed by the sin that Adam and Eve committed and that you've committed. We have the restoration. So we have man's desperate need and we are so desperately needy. We are so needy. Then we have the Lord's provision for man. He provides for us. And then we have the restoration. You see, if the Lord didn't provide for us, there would be no third point. I'd only have a one-point message. Man's desperate need. But because the Lord provided for us, we have the restoration. And so it's an exciting message. It is a powerful one this morning. But I'm going to also tell you that it may be offensive to you. Uh, It is not my intention to offend you. But if the shoe fits, wear it. (laughs) And if you're offended by it, please be changed by it. And be willing to accept it. And recognize that one, you're a sinner. And two, that as a believer, you should be sharing the gospel. You should be making disciples. That is the one command Christ left to you and I to follow. So here we go. Man's desperate need. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. The scripture says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So here we begin in man's desperate need, and we begin with sin's entrance into humanity. Sin's entrance into humanity. And where we're taken back, where Paul takes us back, is all the way back to the garden, again with Adam and Eve. You have the creation and the creatures, and the fellowship of the Lord is perfect, and it is undefiled. It is like nothing you and I can imagine because we are tainted by sin. And because we are tainted by sin, we don't truly understand what was there in the beginning. We don't truly understand before sin's entrance into humanity. Yet in an instant, the curse of sin enters in and begins the process of destruction and death. In one moment, history is changed. And in verse 12, we find Paul reminding us of our first sin. Sin enters the creation through one man doing the one thing he was told not to do. There was one law and Adam disobeyed that one law. And in disobeying that one law, death entered into the creation. Sin entered into the creation. And so we have this impact. We have sin's impact now. The perfect life which was enjoyed and shared by all of the creation has the end of life enter into it. Adam and Eve died that day. So, well, no, they didn't. They continued to live. No, physically they began the process of dying. Spiritually they died that day. They died that day. And death started. And a spiritual separation was immediate. Adam and Eve knew immediately. They knew at that instant that something had transformed in them. But God does something amazing. And it is the pattern in which He establishes the coming of the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. And that pattern is God takes Adam and Eve and He kills animals for their skins and He covers them. 
Now we're not given all of the details until later, putting it in context with what happens with Adam or with Cain and Abel. We begin to recognize what God was doing. You see, Adam and Eve had a sin issue. They had a sin problem, and so they had to be covered. And sin was going to be covered by the, the death of perfect sacrifices. But it wouldn't be paid for. It wouldn't be removed from them. You see, by killing an animal, all they were doing was just putting a covering over it, waiting for the perfect Lamb of God to die. And as they were waiting for that, they were still filled with shame. They were still filled with guilt before a holy God. And so God takes two animals who had not yet experienced death. Adam and Eve had experienced spiritual death, but none of the rest of creation had experienced any kind of death until God took two animals and He killed them. And the blood that was spilled that day reminded Adam and Eve of their sin and their guilt. You see, God took them and we realize sin's impact on life. Because sin's impact on life brought death. And death now has an influence. How many of you have been influenced by death? I want to see a show of hands. All of us should raise our hands. Because whether you've lost someone that's close to you or not, you're in the process of dying. You see, death's influence reaches everything in the once perfect creation. Death was realized in Adam's day, but all the more as the law was revealed. There's a, an interesting phrase here, and we don't have a lot of time to go through it, but I want to explain the basics to you. You see, before the law, there weren't as many laws that man was aware of to break. So even though death reigned from Adam to Moses, there wasn't as many laws for them to break, but it was obviously severe. We've looked through some of the seas that we have studied already. Let's talk about corruption. Was that severe? Yes, man caused sin to enter into creation. What about catastrophe? Was that severe sin? We have the flood. God judges all of mankind. I think sin was pretty severe at that point. Confusion. We have God taking a people who refused to listen to Him in Genesis chapter 11, and they refused to obey Him. And God says, fine, I'm going to scatter you out. Yeah, sin was pretty bad between Adam and Moses. But it was even more when the law was revealed. And that was the purpose of the law, was to reveal that you and I can't do it. That nothing that you and I can put together can get us there. You see, the truth of these verses is missed by some who think that by doing good works they can get to heaven. But they can't. The purpose of the law was to reveal how desperate you and I are. You and I have no chance. We stand as Adam and Eve did, in shame before God. Naked and laid open before Him, before a holy God. That is our condition. That is where you and I are at. And no matter how many good works we try, we cannot even begin to put a covering on it. Adam and Eve tried. Had the first religious practice. Do you know what it was? It wasn't true worship. It was a religious practice. They went and got fig leaves and tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. That was religion, not worship. They tried to cover it their way, not God's way. So here we have a situation where man is desperate. The law revealed that there are more than just one law that Adam violated. Now man's now that man's holiness is broken, the promise of the serpent that we would know good and evil is a reality. 
The serpent didn't really truly lie about it. So you would know the good and evil. What he didn't tell us is that our limits are finite. We have a limited ability to understand it. And what we understand is how to practice evil. In fact, we're getting better and better and better at it. You notice that? Getting better at evil and worse, lacking in knowledge of what is good. We confuse those things that are evil and we're, we're changing them and twisting them so that they sound good. But our knowledge of what is truly good is decreasing. Paul takes us to, back to the beginning because he wants to remind us of the spread of the curse. More than a flu or any infectious disease. In fact, as I thought about this, I was thinking about the most dreaded disease in at least modern history. And do you know what it was? Smallpox. If you had smallpox, it was, you had the plague. I mean, you, you get, stay away. Smallpox was one of the most feared diseases of the 20th century. It took the lives of 500 million people in the first half of last century. 500 million people between 1900 and 1950. 500 million people. It has a mortality rate of 35%. If you get it, there's a 1 in 3 chance you're going to die. However, the curse of sin has infected everyone. And guess what its mortality rate is? 100%. You and I are suffering from a disease and an infection that we have no hope of fixing. But, it's not left up to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, I told you to put your finger there and I didn't put mine there. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. And the scripture says this in First Corinthians 15. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I love what Paul says here. Because whether we understand it or not, Paul just gave us the antidote to the world's most cruel and vile disease out there. And I want you to understand it this way. First, let's keep the primary things the primary things. That's what Paul did. He said, I want to tell you the primary message of my ministry, what God has called me to do, what I'm calling you to do. This is the primary message. And Paul speaks to the Corinthian church to get the main thing, the main thing. The message Paul spoke was not one of a Pharisee. It was not one who, or rather it was one who met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. It was one that radically transformed his life. He went from a Pharisee of a Pharisee, a sinner, of, a chief sinner among sinners, and here he is, a man transformed with the primary message of sharing the gospel. That's his message. How many churches today in our country would say everything we do, everything that we emphasize, is this primary message? Boy, not near enough. This is the primary message. This is the Great Commission. This is what our main objective is as believers, is to go and make disciples. That's why this series, Nine Parts, has been called Train to Disciple. Because it builds to this. 
It reminds us of who we were and how we've been radically changed when we believed in the message of Jesus Christ. The message is of first importance, or we might say the most important and the primary message. This message is this. Notice what he says. I want to read it to you so that you don't think that I'm just coming up with it. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the message, verse, last part of verse 3 and the first part of verse 4. So what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. How many of you know how to share the gospel well? Raise your hand. How many of you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4? Raise your hand. You just got the gospel message. It's right there. Now, the way you present it may be a little different, but that's the elements. If you share a message and you leave out any parts of this, you forgot to share the message. See, the reality is that you and I must be confronted with our desperate need, that we are sinners. But we also must recognize, as I just did for you, that the Lord provides for man. And that is that Christ died for our sins. I want to ask you a question. Is this your primary message? This is personal, and I don't want you to ask, ask this uh, or answer this out loud. This is personal. Is this your primary message? Of all the things that Paul could have been preaching, this was the most important. In fact, he could have taught seminars on interpersonal relationships, as he and Barnabas had struggled with that. So he could have taught seminars on that, but he didn't. He could have uh, taught on church growth. I mean, what a better teacher on church growth than Paul. But he didn't. He could have taught apologetics. Man, what an incredible apologist. One who defended the faith boldly and passionately and with fervor. He gives us the pattern, but he didn't teach on it. He could have led a class on how to make and manufacture tents. That's what he did. But he doesn't tell us how to make and manufacture tents. He likely did all of those things, but the lifeblood of his ministry, that which pulsed in his veins, was the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what pulsed in his veins. That's what caused him to get up in the morning. And I want to ask you this question. What got you up this morning? Were you excited about coming to church? Were you excited about being among believers? Were you excited about sharing the gospel tonight at Awana? You're like, ah, oh, it's Sunday. I wish I could sleep in. You know how nice you know how nice it would be to sleep in? I don't think I've ever slept in on Sunday. No, see, this was Paul's primary message. This is what got him up in the morning. But we have the primary message, and he breaks it apart in two parts for us. Verse 3, the payment. The payment. Paul makes sure that we the gospel is understood. Our sins require a payment, and that payment was made when the blood of Christ was spilled according to the Scriptures. And I love that phrase, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. And anytime you see Paul use that, Paul is saying, I know the Scriptures, and according to the Scriptures, this is what happened. Paul says, I know the Old Testament better than most people know the Old Testament. And according to the Scriptures, Christ died for our sins on the cross. You see, Christ died in our place to take our sins, to pay the price that you and I should rightly pay. When you understand the disease that we are all infected with, praise the Lord, a cure is available. Praise the Lord, it is available. Are you going to tell your unsaved neighbor that there is a cure for the disease that will one day take their life? Let me ask you this. 
We talked about in our prayer just a moment ago, those who have cancer and the, the new treatments that are out there. If you heard of a treatment for a disease that somebody has, would you share it with them? I hope you would. If they have cancer, would you share Have you thought about this realm? I heard that they're making great strides over here. They're using this great, and, and it's causing some cures. I hope you would go tell that, but how many of them would you go and tell, I have the answer for your deepest need, the one that will take your life one day? Cancer might take your life. It's a scary disease. Smallpox might take your life. It's a scary disease. But sin will, 100% assuredly, take your life. Will you share with your neighbor the truth that payment has been made and a vaccine has been made available? Will you do that? Paul then gives us, oops, go the right way, the evidence in verse 4. The evidence. Because we live in a world that wants some evidence. And so here we have in verse 4... And I want to back it up just a little bit in verse 3. And it says, For I delivered to you as a first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, Paul's message continues. Not only was Christ the perfect Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world by dying, but He was buried and He rose again on the third day. And I don't care how many news articles you find that say, oh, we think we found Christ's tomb. Guess what? They're never going to find Christ's tomb because He's not there. And they're not going to find Him. You're not going to find a, a bag of bones someplace that they're going to say, yep, that's Christ. No, you're not going to find that because He rose again. So we have that evidence. But again, as if we had time and we don't, but read these verses, verses 5 through 9 when you get home. Read these verses. Again, this is not only Paul's testimony, but it was promised in the Old Testament, according to the Scriptures. Remember that phrase, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. It was promised in the Old Testament. Paul reminds his readers that this was in accordance with those Scriptures. More than that, in verses 5 through 9, Christ appeared alive and well to the disciples, Cephas, Peter, and 500 more. And to James, and lastly to Paul, as if one untimely born, he says. Christ appeared to himself. Paul's not saying, uh, I want you to believe in what Christ did for you, and I want you to believe that he died according to the Scriptures for your sins, and that he rose again according to the Scriptures. He's not saying that I want you to believe that just based upon the Scriptures. He says, I want you to believe it because I saw it with my own eyes. I testify, the risen Lord, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was walking to Damascus to take Christians captive and to bring them back so that I might stone some of them. But when I got halfway there, I saw the risen Lord. And that changed my life. Sin's cost is the life of every person who is infected by it. That is the life of you, your neighbor, your spouse, your children, your friends, and yes, even your doctor. It requires the life of every single person except for Jesus Christ. Yet it was Him who took that and said, I'm the only one that's not going to die because of sin, because I'm perfect and sinless, because He is God. And he died, taking your disease in your place, 
to remedy you to live forever. Notice what it says back in Romans chapter 5. I'm going to turn back to the passage we've already been looking at. Here we have the restoration. Romans chapter 5, a couple verses before where we started. Verse 10 and verse 11. It says this, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, again, just in case we missed it, because you and I tend to be prideful and arrogant, just in case we missed it, he says, I want to remind you of your previous condition. He says, and I'm going to do it in a different way now. So that you understand the full impact as much as you in your finite mind can understand it. I want you to understand the full impact and Paul says this, our sinful condition, which is our previous condition, that is a disease that is 100% fatal, is not only destructive to our life, but to our spiritual life as well, and it makes us enemies of God. Did you know that you, as a sinner, are an enemy to God? Now, I posed this question last week, and... I'm going to pose it again this week. Because it is often said, when you and I go and evangelize, when we go out and reach out to the world around us, and we begin to tell them about their sin and about hell and about heaven, and we begin to go through those processes, that they said, well, I don't believe that God would send a good person to hell. And I agree with them. He will not. You're not a good person. You're an enemy. You're an enemy of God's. And what would you expect of our nation to do to an enemy of the state. You would expect them to judge them. You would expect them to cast them out and to remove them. Guess what? If you choose to remain as an enemy of God, that is the consequence. But, for those of us who accepted the gift, the free gift of salvation. This was our previous condition. We're no longer there. We no longer have that penalty. And it may be stating the obvious, but we need to understand that it was our choice to be an enemy. God didn't say, I'm going to create some to be enemies and some to be followers. No, He created us, and you chose, as well as I chose. It was a universal choosing, but we did it. Individuals We chose to be enemies. We chose to be his enemy. And it was while we were enemies. It was while our condition before the effects of the cross were applied to us that we were enemies. You may not have yet accepted Christ. You're still an enemy. But while you were still there, Christ died for you. And that means that we are saved by his life. Saved by his life. You see, what is amazing to me is by the death of Jesus Christ, you and I are reconciled to the Lord. This is a banking term, reconciled is. And if you have ever had a checking account or you've ever had any kind of account, you understand it. Because every time you balance your checking account, you have used this term. You may not have used it literally, but you have used what it means. You have brought into reconciliation the numbers, and so everything balances out, and it is as it should be. That is reconciled. Everything is accounted for, and nothing is outstanding. 
What I want you to see, believer, is this. If you are reconciled to God, that means there is no sins outstanding. They've all been paid for. Therefore, that means you can't work your way there. There's nothing to pay for. Because nothing is outstanding. Now, as we understand this, you can keep track of how good you are and how many good works you do. But when the day comes to reconcile your spiritual account, if you've never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you will be found wanting. So, but I did all these good works. It doesn't matter because you were an enemy of Christ to begin with. You did all these good works, yes, but there is filthy rags before the Lord. Because it's still selfishness, it's still self-absorbed sin. But in Christ, your account comes out exactly as it should. To the penny. If my checking accounts don't reconcile to the penny, I don't worry about it. If it's off of only a penny or two. But your account is reconciled to the penny. And that should cause something in you and I. And this is where I want us to rest today. Rejoicing in a right relationship. Notice what he says there in verse 11. He says this. He says, uh, and not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That word for exalt, some of your translations will say rejoice. We should now rejoice in a right relationship. This should cause the heart of the believer to spontaneously erupt in worship. When we're singing songs, and we're singing songs about His blood and His death on the cross, as we sang this morning, you know what excites me? It is the believers who are, are enjoying it, who are exalting, who are worshiping our God. See, but the reality is, the reality is we live in a world that does not exalt the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, sin is fun. It is. You don't go and commit sin because it's not fun. You think, well, that would be fun, so I'm going to go try it. And so you commit sin because it's fun. But it cannot satisfy. It doesn't have a lasting effect. You see, our heart longs for lasting satisfaction. You can manufacture it for a while. You may be able to find it in a bottle. You may be able to find it... And, and sex or whatever it happens to be, you can manufacture it for a while. But after a time, despair and brokenness will ensue. It will come. Why else do we have alcoholics? Because it never satisfied. And so they needed more, and they needed more, and they needed more. You see, it's a sin issue. This is the very thing an ungodly world is running from is the truth that over time despair and brokenness will ensue. And so they do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing hoping it never comes, hoping it never gets there, hoping they never have to feel the despair and the brokenness, hoping that it will never encapsulate them. The church, individuals want the world to see them acting piously, humbly, and holy. And I've seen this happen too many times. Where And this is why the church gets a title for hypocrites. You know what? We're all hypocrites. Let's get over that truth. We're all hypocrites. But the church acts like it in front of the world around them. 
and they, they act pious. Oh, I'm, I'm following the Lord. And, and they are downtrodden and they're beaten and they're tired and they're weary. Is that what we get out of verse 11? Not at all. You see, the reality is, without Christ, you're not holy, pious, or righteous at all. So it is through Him. When you sing, sing with joy. Exalt His name. You may not sing well, I don't care. Neither does He. Sing with joy. Sing it loud. Sing it well in your soul. When you pray, pray with fervor. Don't pray those, oh Lord, bless this food, bless our day, amen. Don't pray those prayers. Pray. I love when Nehemiah bowed his knee before the Lord. He heard about Jerusalem and he falls flat. And he says, Lord, forgive us for our sins and restore us. That's a man who knew how to pray. We should pray with fervor. And this one is building in for a couple weeks. This is a, a commercial for two weeks from now or three weeks from now. It says, when you use your gifts in service to the body of the believers, do so with passion and with vigor. Do so with passion and vigor. God has equipped you with a special set of gifts and only you have it. And if He placed you in this church, then you better use it. For His glory, for His name, and for the good of the believers that surround you. Do it with passion and vigor. You say, but I've been hurt. I don't care. Christ was too. Do it with passion and vigor. The heart that knows what we are saved from and how we are saved because of it will rejoice. When you say, you know what, I'm a desperate sinner and I desperately needed Christ. And when I desperately needed Him the most, He died when I was yet an enemy to Him and He saved my life. You know what's amazing to me about Paul? is Paul is the perfect example of that. He says, I was a chief of sinners. I, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a chief of sinners. I was as worldly as they come. And yet he didn't bemoan that. He didn't act piously because he wasn't that anymore. Instead, he said, this, follow my example and run the race with endurance. You don't see very many runners out there going, oh, I'll get there. No. In fact, there's a runner out there who just ran the 200 meter and setting all kinds of records, and he's blowing the field away. That should be you and I, believer, as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I have been made right. Our relationship is restored, and we have what the world craves. What a shame that we act as the driver of that Corvette at the beginning this morning. A shame to unleash the power that drives us. Blown away by a cheap imitation. The message of the cross is a message that has transformed the lives of drug addicts, thieves, and prostitutes. It has caused headhunters to become evangelists. It has caused religious zealots to finally surrender to Christ in true worship, not the fake stuff they practiced before, and turn, to the, turn the world on fire for Christ. And we can look at them. It's not just Paul. It's Calvin. It's Luther. It's all of these guys who were previously worldly, 
Moody and others turn the world on for Christ. Yet this message, and I might offend you, and that is intentional and unintentional at the same time, this message by you and I is brushed aside. And we claim to believe it. Beloved, fall down and confess our negligence. It took teams of doctors and scientists to discover a vaccine that by the 1970s had caused smallpox to be deemed uh, completely removed, eradicated. It took teams of scientists and doctors. Now, nearly every child born in the United States is vaccinated for smallpox. And smallpox is eradicated in our country. The curse of sin, far more deadly than smallpox and much more infectious, has had a cure since Christ died on the cross. You are the ones suited to administer the antidote to sin. You are the ones that God said, I'm sending you out now to go give the antidote. Yet, despite death all around, we sit idly by, refusing to obey the Lord's commands to make disciples. This is why I've endeavored in this series that you and I understand that you and I are trained to disciple. The way we make disciples is we go and we share the gospel. And they come to Christ. That's the first step of discipleship. And then the second step is to train them all that He has commanded us. You start to cause them to grow in their faith. You see, as believers, you and I should not be sharing only the works of Christ. There are those church groups around who will go out and they'll they'll be Christ to the world. They'll feed the hungry and they'll do the important things as clothing and and teaching them how to farm, and and teaching all kinds of stuff, providing for their need, their physical needs. And that is important. But recognize this, believer. If you never get to the truth of the gospel, what a shame. Because if you never get to the truth of the gospel, they're going to say, well, there's something different about them, but I don't know what it is, but I'm glad I come for a handout. And that's what they'll do. Do you like to tell somebody that they're a sinner, dirty, rotten sinner going to hell? I don't like to tell people that. Sometimes I have to. And as we get to that point, let's share with them the truth then. We don't have to stay there. Let's share the gospel. Let's make disciples. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we close this message out, I am completely aware that it is only by your grace and only by your power that we're going to take anything home from this message. Lord, forgive us of not being willing, not being uh, eager to share the gospel. Help us to make what the message of Paul, the primary message of Paul, what it was that we would make it our primary message, that we would share the gospel with vigor, with passion, that we would serve you with vigor and with passion, that the world around us would not just see that there's something different about us, but they would hear it from us, that there is indeed something different, and that is that we have what they crave. Lord, help us not to wander around as holier than thou, as that is our tendency in our own sinful, selfish ways. Let us walk around as people who have experienced sin, 
who know that, yes, indeed, it is fun, but it is not lasting. Help us then to take the message of complete joy and complete satisfaction out among them that we would recognize that it is only through your blood and only through your rising again that we are able to do so. Lord, we love you and we praise you even more because of the message that we've heard today. Make it be quick on our tongues as we share it with the world around us. And we give you the glory and the honor for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.